Thanks for listening to another podcast from C3 Calgary West. Our hope is that this message will equip and inspire you in your walk with God. For more information about our church, check out our website at myc3church.ca or find us on Instagram at C3 Calgary West. Nice. Great. Thanks, Matt and Britt. They oversee our youth and young adults. What a great couple they are. Brandon and Hannah back there that lead the youth. All these volunteers. We do have a thing out there for people who volunteer, and I think there's 280 volunteers. Is that right? 350. 350. You guys. What a thing. Hey, what I, uh, the, the women's cookbook out there... Um, for some reason, I want to know why Ronnie got a recipe in here. And I never got my rib recipe in here. A little empathy. Thank you. What the heck? Huh? And so Kelly was baking all day yesterday. And so if you don't buy any of her things, that will be just fine with me. It was an afternoon of temptation. Good to have Larry and Susan here this morning. Spent the weekend with us. Larry and Susan were part of our community since about 1996, I think. They came at a Christmas event at Christmas time, 1996, and uh, were part of every department in the church, including the building of this place. And your level of your, your pain threshold and your patience threshold is only exceeded by your levels of grace to work along with me. So just so welcome. They're here from Crenbrook, and they're helping to build a church in Crenbrook, of course. Um, so the other thing is, uh, we had a, we had a staff party and we had a sock exchange. I want to know how many of the staff are wearing their socks. Let's see them. Let's see them. Let's see your socks. Okay. 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 I'm wearing mine too. You can't see them. It was a setup, (laughs) but I'm doing what I'm, I'm doing what I said I would do and I got them on. And so we'll leave, we're just going to leave it right there, right, right there at that. They're, they're, not all messages on socks are sanctified just for, the, for that specific reason. Okay, um, Ryan and Erica are here from Australia. They're here for three weeks with us. They're going to be helping uh, from Newcastle, C3 Newcastle, and they're, well, they call it C3 people now. And on Thursday night, we're going to have a meeting for creatives. So if anybody's creative uh, or cre- creatively want to be in every, any dimension of uh, creativity, that's on Thursday night, and that's at what time? 6.30, right here at the church. So Erica will be leading that. And for some reason, they're not at church. They're, they're staying out at Ghost Lake, and they'll be here for the second service. But when you see them, I want you to welcome them. And, um, and that's going to be great that they're around. Okay. Uh, we're, we're doing a series. Colin Tubb did the first one last week. How'd he do? He did great, right? Excellent. Okay, so this morning is going to be really interesting or extremely boring. I'm talking about the Christmas story and the history his, his story and how his story and our stories collide and collaborate. We're going to look at the lineage of Messiah. And most remarkably, you and I get to be part of that same lineage when we put our faith in Christ. We have the right to become sons and daughters of God. So I think that's remarkable. So I want to, I want to begin talking about that. Uh, sometimes, to me, every detail in Scripture is important. And the more details you find that reveal 
truth, uh, the more interesting the, the reading of the scriptures become. I typically will ask the Lord to speak to me. Um, speak, I'll actually speak it out. I'll just say, Lord, this is your word. Speak to me from your word today. And one of the clearest voices of the Lord to your and my heart is his word. So it's really important we have daily time with the word. There's times when the word will say something and it'll catch your attention because it's, it's, it has a greater meaning that you need to extract. And part of the Christmas story is like that. Uh, we do the same things. We don't always mean the things that we say. Um, a couple of weeks ago, I had a shirt that I picked out myself. Do you remember that shirt? <laughs> a number of people asked me, where did you get that shirt? Now, what they, what, what they didn't mean is I want to go buy one as well. <laughs> I know. They didn't mean that. They, when they said, where'd you get that shirt? Um, they, they, were, they could have even been wondering, like, did you take that from a homeless person or... They could, it could have meant, I'm not too sure about your taste in fashion, or could have meant, uh, I'm going to avoid that specific store, or, but it, it, it really, they, the other thing, if they liked the shirt, they could have said, oh, I like your shirt, but they didn't. They said, where'd you get that shirt? So it's sometimes what we say and the meanings behind what we say are significantly different. The, the Christmas story, the story that you thought that you knew may be a little different if you look behind the scenes of some of the things that the scripture says about the story, and I want to look at a few obscure passages and uh, a whole new train, bunch of tra new trains of thought that I hadn't taken before. So the question might be, if I could just have a quick pop quiz with you, um, maybe just say these answers out loud. Do you know who Jesus' mother was? Great. Okay. Do you know who Jesus' father was? Good. Uh, say that again. Do you know who Jesus' uh, grandfather was? Why so quiet? You know the story, right? The grandfather's part of the story as well. If you would, if you would say that Jesus' grandfather was Jacob, you'd be correct. If you were to say that Jesus' grandfather was Heli, you'd be correct. Let me ask a couple more questions. I have a few more. Uh, do you know, okay, so do you know how many wise men there were? You really don't. Uh, do, do you know where the wise men are prophesied in Scripture in the Old Testament? Do you know? All good. Um, uh, do you know what Jesus was called at birth? Not what he was named, what he was called? Because what he was named and called are different. We'll look at names eventually. Um, the... Um, was Joseph led by a dream or by an angel? Why are you all so quiet? You know the story, right? The answer is yes. It's an angel in a dream. So, so I want to look at the story, kind of maybe more relook at the story, and uh, see some of the things that probably you thought you knew, but maybe you didn't know. And I want to revisit a, a few specific parts in the Old Testament of where he was prophesied. So Christmas to me is a miracle. It's just, it, it, and, and we run the risk of doing one of three things, mythologizing it, the story, secularizing it, 
or romanticizing it. And you and I, we get this story, we can make it very personal because it's not just his story, it's our story. It's one of the greatest events and the greatest story that ever took place. And if you're like me, a father, you sit down on Christmas morning and kids sit down before they get to open their gifts. They got to listen to you tell the Christmas story, read the Christmas story. Because I believe someday those kids will ask their kids to sit down. And I want them to hear the story from an authorized source from the Bible. I typically read from the book of Luke. If I read from the book of Matthew, what I'll do is I'll skip partway through. And I'll begin where it says, and this is how Jesus the Messiah was born. But I'll miss the first 18 verses because they're a little bit confusing and I don't have the phonetic skill to pronounce all the names because there's genealogy involved. Um, I love the Bible because it opens up doors in our imagination and, and for me it raises lots of questions for me as well. If, if you see how the scripture was written, you'll, the, the break between Malachi and the book of Matthew was a 400 year period of silence. And uh, if you would have went from Malachi to like the book of Acts, you'd end up getting whiplash in the story. Or even from Malachi to Romans, it'd be very confusing. But instead it goes from Malachi through the four gospels. And, and the first line of the first book of the New Testament is where I want to start today. Matthew chapter 1 and verse 1, and I'm reading from the New Living Translation. It says this, this is the record of the ancestors of Jesus, the Messiah, a descendant of King David and of Abraham. That's what I want to talk about today. Now, um, every detail is, is specifically important so reading the Bible is actually not good enough for you and I. Studying the Bible is much more valuable, and obeying the Bible is the only thing that's going to make a difference for you and I, not just studying and reading. We have to choose to obey it. Uh, this week, I was reading through the book of Daniel. Those of you who are going through, reading through the Bible in a year, you went through the book of Daniel. You came across that very interesting historical passage because Daniel begins a timeline for Messiah. But he makes this really interesting statement in about chapter 10 about where he prayed and an angel had to come and intercept because his prayers were being, from the first day they were heard, but they were getting detained and, and God needed to commission massive angels to follow through on what Daniel was praying. And he makes one interesting statement. He talks about the prince of Persia and then he also talks about the prince of Greece. It caught my attention. And as I read, I looked a little further into the story about the prince of Greece. It turns out that historically, Greece was not even a nation yet for another 300 years. Profound. Because the story is an eternal story. And because God is able to see the end from the beginning, the story has no beginning or end, and, and it's one of those stories that never ends. And so we need to rediscover some of the fascination, I think, about the scriptures. Now, now, here's what we need to know about 
some things historically about the Bible. The Old Testament were widely circulated for 300 years before Christ came. So all of the Old Testament as we read it, it was in black and white and accessible to the scholars and the priests of that day. So it was all very, it wasn't like just hidden away in caves. It was like accessible for people to read the entire Old Testament. That, that, that's, this is why it's important, you'll know in a moment, because, because this is hundreds of years before Christ came preaching about the gospel and about the things that were to come to pass because the Old Testament was prophesying that one would come. And the Old Testament largely is about that. And the story of Christmas begins in Genesis chapter 3. And it's going to be a battle over seed. There's one that's going to come that's going to reverse this insurgence, the rebellion against God's created order. And he said a woman is going to come. And her seed is going to be the one that's going to destroy the prince of darkness. Christmas story begins in Genesis chapter 3. And all through the rest of the Old Testament, it's unraveling how he was going to come and when he would come. And in reading through the Encyclopedia of Biblical Prophecy, it says the Bible contains 8,362 predictive verses. Of, of those, there's 1,817 predictions on 737 different matters. I think that's phenomenal. Because I'm just saying this, this information, it's like you and I hearing something that's going to happen hundreds of years from today and being accurate with it. Like, like hundreds of years, 700, 800 years. The Bible is unique in any, in any other book in history. So, so why is that important? Here's why it's important. Because the Christmas story was prophesied in the Old Testament over 300 times. And, and amazingly, if even one or two of those things were to come to pass, we'd say, wow. But every one of them were fulfilled in the first century A.D. This is what's remarkable about, about the Christmas story. We look a little de deeper, and, um, and we'll see that even though it was predicted and prophesied in Genesis chapter 3, uh, it was fulfilled in Matthew chapter 1 and Luke chapter 2 and 3. And it's also declared in Galatians chapter 3 and verse 16 about the seed that would come. And that in that seed, you and I could have brand new life and we could become part of the messianic genealogy. So that's what I want to look at today. The reasons for genealogies. Matthew chapter 1, I'll read it again. This is the record of the ancestors of Jesus the Messiah, a descendant of King David and Abraham. The prophecy was in 2 Samuel chapter 7 that the seed that would come, what Messiah would come, this, this one would come and he'd be part of the lineage of David. So this is interesting. Many people were born, he had so many kids and wives and concubines and there's all kinds of kids. Jesus was not the only one that came from the lineage of David. He had scores of children. But this one that was going to come was going to come through that lineage. Um, I think we need to be aware of how important generations are in the heart of God. <laughs> Some of you don't realize how valuable a heritage that's godly how valuable that is to you. And if you don't recognize it, 
it's still a blessing to your children and your children's children. The, the promises that you contend for, the steps of faith that you take, they don't live only in your generation. They live on generation after generation after generation. And if nothing else, this Christmas, you can be thankful for the great gift of a godly heritage. If you had a grandma or a mother or a father that didn't just encourage you to go to church, but actually took you by the hand and made you go to church, which I think we need to do until a certain age when you can make a decision. But a godly heritage is a huge blessing. And God always has a generational interest, generation to generation to generation. So the tapestry of the history of Messiah is generational. The first, one of the reasons why this is important is because Matthew not only uh, uh, quantifies that he is born the son of God and he's through the lineage of David, Verses 1 to 18 in Matthew shows that he came as a descendant. Matthew chapter 1 where it says, this is a record of the ancestries of Jesus, a descendant of King David and of Abraham. So not only does it show that he's a descendant of the, and he's a son of, God, of man, but it also says in verses 18 on that he was the son of God. And it shows his divine genealogy. Why is that important? In our, in our day, like back then, of course, they didn't have Ancestry.com. It has with scrolls and names of people, <laughs> the son of or the father of, and they'd have scrolls. Why These genealogies, I, I don't want us to skip over because actually they're the story of the fulfillment and the promises and how God is faithful to his promise. Um, there's four reasons why you would have um, genealogies. Genealogy was critical to the Jewish people. The one, of, one, one reason for genealogy is first it was their, your claim to land was based on your original tribal allocation. Numbers chapter 26, God allocated all the land. And if you could prove you're from the lineage of one of these, you actually had some land. If you couldn't prove it, no land. Secondly, you wouldn't have some of the possessions, the slaves, uh, different, different chattels that went along with land allocation. You had to be able to prove your heritage. So, so chapter one of Matthew are the king's credentials. They're showing that he's the king and he, just, he comes through the line of David. This isn't boring. Um, thirdly, it's to establish a basis of taxation. Why, why David and, or sorry, uh, Mary and Joseph went back to Bethlehem uh, for a census. And fourthly, Genealogy is important to claim uh, royalty. If you weren't, you couldn't claim that your ancestry went back to a king. You could not be a king. And secondly, you couldn't be a priest. Ezra chapter 2, this is a personal contention of mine. Many times we find young ministers. They want to minister. But you can't, they can't claim or prove a genealogy. They can't prove that they were mentored by someone. They can't prove that they were in the house of someone. Here, what, who, are, who are they? Who knows? It's a big problem. The fatherlessness among ministries today is epidemic because of the spirit of independence. Where did you come from? Ezra chapter 2 said, if you couldn't prove you were a priest, you could not minister. What if it's the same today? Who is your spiritual father? Who is your spiritual heritage? Can you prove that you're part of some line, some tribe, to receive your inheritance, it depended on relationship. 
Ministry requires a genealogy. And nobody said amen. Such a profound thought. A very interesting thing took place in Jeremiah chapter 22. Why, why is this important? Because you're going to read through the end, the, this genealogy and you're going to find it's a little bit boring. It's actually fascinating. I'm going to give you a few reasons why. You're going to be on the edge of your chair any minute now. The degeneration of kings was so bad during this, this specific era that God pronounced a blood curse on, on the line of Jeconiah. In Jeremiah chapter 22. No doubt in the counsels of Satan, that he would have thought, ah, God has just shot himself in the foot because the seed was going to come through the line of David. At which moment, God would have leaned over to the angels and said, ah, just watch this. And we see the tension begin to build in the genealogy. The point is, when you get to the end of chapter, uh, verse 18, it says, Jacob was the father of Joseph, grandfather of Jesus, the husband of Mary. Everyone else was the father of, the father of, the father of. What just happened? A little switcheroo. Even though Joseph was the legal son, he was not the blood son. This is proving that not only does his lineage go back to King David, but that the blood curse from Jeconiah did not apply to him. Now, it gets much deeper. <laughs> Mary was the mother of Jesus who was called the Messiah. Just look, look at the next verse, verse 17. And we, we do have that passage. I sent it in early this morning. Pardon me. All those who are listed above included 14 generations from Adam, sorry, Abraham to King David. He doesn't go back to Adam. He goes back to Abraham. Because he's proven, that, right, the Jewish people, their father Abraham had many sons, had many sons had, uh, David, and 14 from David's time to ba- Babylonian exile, and 14 from the Babylonian exile to Messiah. All seems rather innocuous when you're, you're first reading. Why is that important? He actually is not giving the entire genealogy. He's giving three segments of 14. The three segments of 14, to those of you who have an interest in details and perhaps an engineer's background or an accountant's, uh, this 14, what's, what's he saying? He's not saying, he's not giving the entire genealogy. But he's giving four periods of Israel's history. Well, what's even a little bit more important, because every Hebrew word, uh, letter, has an equivalent number. The number for King David, if you went like A, B, C, D, that number would be four. As it turns out, the number for David, D, V, D, the number four, and then the number, his name, because they don't pronounce syllables, um, sorry, vowels, they do pronounce syllables. V is six, and the number D again is four. Four plus six plus four equals, there you have it. Riveting, right? Okay, you want the next point? Are you, we'd love to hang on that, but we have to move a little bit further along. I know, I know you'd like to hear more. If you go to Luke chapter 2, you'll find, sorry, Luke chapter 3. The genealogy of Jesus in, in the book of Luke is very different. And there's been lots of contention about this, why it's different. Well, here, it's pretty simple. We have a mother and a father. He has a mother and a father. The genealogy in Luke is the genealogy of Mary. Uh, so his, it says about um, how that he goes. And it's right between his baptism and temptation. 
in the book of Luke. So this is an interesting uh, where, where he puts that. Now, now he traced the family line. He does something quite different. Um, one of them goes from past to present. The other one goes from present to past. If you've got your Bibles and you're looking at the book of Luke, you'll see that it begins with Jesus. Then it goes back. And it's very intriguing because the Dr. Luke now is becoming a historian. And now he's going back. And you wonder, how far is he going to go back? I know some of you want to skip ahead right till the end. And those of you with your Bibles have already went down there. Here's how far it goes back. It includes everybody in human history because it goes back to God. He's, he is proving here that the lineage, it doesn't go like Luke or Matthew from the past till the present. It goes from the present to the past. Fascinating. What does that mean? I'm not sure. Let's just keep looking. Matthew's, Matthew t- 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 takes David's line through Solomon. Uh, Mary's line, or in Luke, it takes it through Nathan. St- so both Mary and Joseph come from the lineage of David. I know. That was the promise. This was what would happen. But even more remarkable than this, there's only one person today in history that can prove that their, that their lineage goes back to King David, only one, because all the records were destroyed in the temple in 70 AD. Guess who it is? It's Jesus. Only one. Interesting note. Sounds like trivia. It's great revelation. I know. One of the most striking things throughout the New Testament is there no mention at all of anybody arguing that Jesus came from the lineage of David, which was pro- all through the Old Testament. This was needed to take place. Even, and it shows in um, Matthew chapter 21, Hosanna to the son of David. If this were at any way, any possibly way could have been contested, it would have been. But there's no mention of it. Why? Because there's, there's without a doubt, Jesus came from the lineage of David. Why is that important? Because it prophesied it hundreds and hundreds of years before it took place. I know. What a story. I have to keep reminding you of that because I'm kind of losing you a little bit here. Um, the interesting thing, if you look in the book of Micah, it promised that Jesus would come out of Bethlehem. And a, a cursory reading of Matthew cha- or, uh, Micah chapter 5 and verse 2 says, oh, it's interesting, it's a location. But at the end of that verse, it says something else. It says, and he would be from everlasting. It says the one that's going to come, if you're trying to figure this puzzle out moving forward, oh, we, we get that maybe he could become from Bethlehem but that he was from everlasting. Here's, here's the story. Is the son, of Go- the son of Mary and David, sorry, Mary and Joseph, was going to have pre-existed before Mary and Joseph. How is that ever going to be possible? I know. Intriguing. Matthew chapter 1, verse 17. Okay, Matthew cha- or Psalm chapter 22. One of the pro- it prophesies about Jesus' death. I don't know if you've read through that or not, and it's just, it's painstaking to read through how his bones, all his bones would be out of joint, and he'd be nailed to, uh, he'd be crucified, his body would be pierced and all this. It's sort of like a, when you and I, we look back, we say, yeah, of course. But here's what's interesting. Crucifixion was not a form of death yet in history. It didn't come for another 300 years <laughs> through the Persians, and then it was adopted by the Romans. To be able to prophesy not only how he was born, but how he would die with accuracy, on an execution method that wasn't even invented yet. Did you see the magnificence and the scope of the scriptures? I just think it's fascinating. And everybody said, wow, 
Wow. Uh, let's move a little bit further because the entire universe cooperated with the birth of Jesus. One more very interesting point, and then I'll get to my, my application. Uh, very interesting point. Uh, the, entire, the entire universe cooperated with his birth, the sun, the moon, and of course, the stars. We don't have time to go over all of the specific events. But we're told, very interesting, about how that, how, when and how Jesus was born. Uh, every Jewish scholar would agree Jesus was not born on December 25th, and everybody went, oh. He was born on Nissan the first, before there was a car. <laughs> Nissan the first was the beginning of all beginnings in the year of the Jewish calendars. And from Nissan one, you know what they would do? They would set every, the rest of their calendar, ba- the rest of their calendar year would be based on that one. What happened when Christ was born? Every calendar was adjusted. So he's born, really interesting, in, at a time, Matthew, uh, Luke would say, when shepherds were watching their flocks by night. More than just a song, it's in Luke chapter 3, 2. Shepherds will only watch their flock at night one time of the year. I think that's interesting. We used to have sheep. And there's one time of the year that you would have to stay up much of the night. When we lived in Norway, I'd have to sleep with the sheep. <laughs> Why? Because it's really important that the sheep are they're, they're a little bit volatile when they're first born. Sometimes they'd get stuck in the birth canal, of course, and you'd have to, you know. <laughs> you know, it's what you do. Um, so here's, here's there's one time of the year when shepherds were watching their flock and they'd stay up all night. Springtime. And it says they were on a hillside. They actually weren't in Bethlehem. They are on a hillside. And those of you who have been to Jerusalem, you know, on the hillside, it faces Jerusalem. And here's why. Because the, the lambs that were born in Bethlehem were used for sacrifice in the temple in Jerusalem. And the day and the time that the Son of God, we're told he would come He would be the Passover lamb. The day that the lamb of God was born was the same time lambs were being born that were going to be used for sacrifice for the temple. The picture is so profound. This lamb that was good, his life would be given for the sacrifice for many was born at the very specific time when other lambs were being born for sacrifice. He was the lamb of God that would take away the sin of the world. He was on a hillside. And then along came the Zoroastrian astrologers. These were the Gandalfs of the day, the Magi. I've preached about them many times. I'm not going to uh, go into it much more. But, but I am interested in looking at Isaiah chapter 60. In Isaiah chapter 60 and verse 6, there's such an interesting passage because it speaks about how the Magi would come. You know, the Magi, Daniel led the Magi in Babylon. And these were not just magicians. They were astrologers and astronomers, and they were magistrates, and they were scientists. So here's what was taking place. I'm just going to very quickly share this passage. Most of you know Isaiah 60, arise and shine, for the light has come. But have you read a little bit further? And it says this. It says, look and see, everybody's coming home. It says, they are going to bring wealth from many lands. Vast caravans of camels will come, and they'll converge on you, the camels of Midian and, east, and Ephah from the east, from Sheba, and they'll bring gold and incense for the worship of the king. 
This was 780 years before these magi would take the trip from Babylon and come across. And, and, and it was interesting because this, the, the, the star kept moving. No, stars don't move. I mean, the world moves. Stars don't move. It's quite interesting about this star. Perhaps if I could keep your attention for a little bit longer, I'll just say someday in the near future we'll talk about the star. But we're kind of done now. Here's what I want to say. It's, of course there were not three shepherd, or not three wise men. Of course not. Three odd-looking people would not stir up an entire town. It says the entire town was stirred up. There was a whole caravan of them. The wise men never came to the birthplace of Jesus. They came to the house. But here's what's interesting. I want to move from the Christmas story to your story now. Because neurologically, you are wired for stories. Your brain must tell a story. It can't not tell a story. Let me tell you about an interesting study that was done. They couldn't figure out why uh, during hell week of the Navy SEALs, here's how they train Navy SEALs, is they push them until their brain screams you're going to die. If any of you read about the training of the Navy SEALs, they, uh, the week is called BUDS, where they keep them underwater, the basic underwater something. And they, they push them until they think they're going to die. Here's what they're finding over and over and over, that the Navy, they're, they're, the, the Navy SEALs were not able to pass the test. So they were faced with a dilemma. Do we make it easier for them to get in? The problem was they needed them to be tougher. So they did a series of tests and they found out which ones were the ones that actually were able to make it and which ones were the one that gave up. I'm going to give you the answer. Not now, just in a minute. The meaning of life. Those of you who read Viktor Frankl's book, The Meaning of Life. Um, he was tempted to wake the guy up next to his bunk because he was having a nightmare. And then he thought, nothing could be worse than where we are right now. It's 1944 and we're in Auschwitz. Nothing could be worse. He shares a riveting story of those who made it and those who didn't. He, would, he told stories in this, the book, The Meaning of Life, of you knew the people that were going to run into the fence and be electrocuted. You could predict it. And here's why, because they'd start smoking their cigarettes. Cigarettes in Auschwitz was used as trade for food and for favors. And here's what would happen. The ones that were going to run into the fence and electrocute themselves, they'd start smoking their cigarettes. Because in their mind, they'd already told themselves a story. It's not worth it. We're not going to make it. Give up. Here's what they did with the Navy SEAL training. Instead of making it easier and getting more people come through, they decided what they needed to do is help them the, find out the ones that gave up and the ones that didn't give up. Do you want to know what it came down to? It was the story that they were telling themselves about themselves. This is a profound thing because it's about your story. I want to tell just a little bit more because it's too interesting to me. They, Victor Frankl said it wasn't the physically strong that survived, it wasn't the brave, it wasn't the young, it wasn't the compliant, but those who could find meaning in life were the ones that existed. They didn't give up. Victor Frankl would say, even though he didn't know if his wife was alive, he kept thinking, uh, I have a wife and someday I'm going to meet her. And he would visualize the story of the day that he's going to be reunited with his life, wife. Ended up saving his life. The stories that you tell yourself are the undercurrent of your life. We're told, the researchers would say, we tell ourselves about 2,000 stories a day. And if you tell yourself that life isn't meaningful and life is not worthwhile, you'll give up. Nobody, the, the, the study that they did by a guy named um, Roger Baumeister in Florida, he found the people who committed suicide were not the people that were in the worst circumstances. 
but they were the people whose story about themselves didn't line up with their experience. And so they said, nobody was putting this on them. It was a story they told themselves. Why am I saying that? Because God came to rewrite the narrative of your life. He came to rewrite your entire genealogy. You're no longer the son of an earthly father. You're the son of a heavenly father. This is big. In the Goldman Institute, those of you who know the guy that designed the theory of emotional intelligence, he said that we're able to predict 94% divorce by the way that you tell the story about your relationship. Your brain has to tell a story. It won't deal with randomness. It has to have some meaning and connect this date to this event. The way he said, just ask somebody about their spouse. And you can tell with a high level of predictability if their marriage is going to last or if they're going to give up. If they would say over and over, uh, you know, it, this doesn't work and this doesn't work and it's never. Why am I saying this? I'm saying because God has came to renew our minds. Not just our minds, but the entire story of our life. He came to rewrite and edit our stories. We need to give the Holy Spirit editorial permission to rewrite the dilemmas that we're facing right now and to redefine them not in a case that we're victims, but in a case that we're overcomers and greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. It's a big deal. It's a really big deal. And let me tell you another profound statistic. Um, um, because, because here's what they found. They said, this is, this is gonna help, it'll help some of you. Uh, Everybody tells stories. Pessimists told their stories accurately and they became depressed. Optimists lied about their stories. I always thought at the end of those emails, you get an email that says LOL, I thought it meant lots of lies. Optimists lie. I'd like to tell you a little bit more about this, but what happens when we come to Christ, we put on a whole new character. There's a, there's a book called Alter, The Alter Ego Effect. They put children in, in a room and, and they, tried, they, they gave them keys that wouldn't work to unlock it where the, this toy was. And he said, the ones that we give Batman outfits to were able to stay, keep working rather than giving up 90 some percent more than the, the kids that were just, ah, oh, it's never gonna work. But if they thought they were Batman, I didn't know, I, there's, a, there's, a, there's a moral to this story. This isn't just random data. Here's, here's what I need to say is because your brain needs to tell the story. Um, there's a thing called the Scrooge effect. And it's proven that what happened in Scrooge's life, the Christmas story, he began to think rather than of his resume, but of his eulogy. How does he want to be remembered? People who realize and understand that someday they're gonna die, and they begin to visualize what's gonna happen at their funeral, statistically, they're more caring, more kind, and more compassionate. Why is this important? They're telling themselves a story. Here, here is the number one indicator of a child's emotional health, and I close with this. If they know the family history, they know they came from somewhere and they belong. They're part of a much bigger narrative than just randomly dropped people. We are part, not just of a random Christmas story. We're part of a story that began back before time began. 
and continues on into eternity. Our lives have incredible meaning. Listen to the stories that you tell yourself. They'll predict your behavior. I'm going to pray for people now to change some of our inner stories. Some people wonder, how is the church going to be with all the downturn in the economy? I said, the story I've told myself over and over, the economy has nothing to do with our future. And I live like people think I'm in la-la land. I said, no, that doesn't matter. What matters is that God has been faithful in the past. He will be faithful in our future. When it, that's just, that's the story of our life. He's faithful. Stand with me if you could, please. Father, this morning, as we think about your story and the great narrative of history, how you promised one would come and he came. And now we're part of the lineage of Jesus Christ. God, this morning, I thank you. God, for not just a Christmas story, but that we can be part of that Christmas story. And Lord, if there's anyone here today that's not, doesn't know or believe or accept that they're part of the family of God, I pray in these next moments they'd make a decision. Ah, oh, life has meaning. I have meaning. And I can be part of the family of God. If there's anyone here, Lord, that's been living with a sense of meaninglessness, They've been living with a sense of futility and they're wondering, is it worth it? Is it worth it? Is it worth it? I'm just want to say to you today, Jesus gave his life for you because you were worth it. And if there's anyone here this morning who's coming into Christmas feeling depressed and anxious, Father, today, I pray that you'd rewrite that storyline in their mind and their heart. God, we break the ungodly line and the ungodly lies that play over and over in our mind that we don't matter, that life's not going to work. Father, in Jesus' mighty name, I pray right now for a revolution in our thinking and you begin to rewrite this story of our lives. Because Thanks for listening. Be sure to subscribe to our podcast and check out our website at myc3church.ca. See you next week.